I was thinking this week that it was 2002 when we first came out to Arizona to begin pastoral ministry at the Heights Church. And it's amazing how time flies. You know, like 13 years in pastoral ministry already, and it seems like just a... You know, one of my favorite things in all those years to do in ministry is premarital counseling. At the Heights Church, when I worked with Pastor Sam Webb, in the adult ministries department, we had a little motto that we like to share with people. We'd say, we're adult ministries, we marry them and bury them. <laughs> we always hoped it wasn't on the same day. Never was. <laughs> but uh, I'll never forget one couple uh, doing premarital counseling with them. And, and you go through all sorts of stuff. And, and we got the process started. They took their inventory where they answer all these questions. And and one day they called me and they said, you know what, we, we feel like we really want to slow down the premarital counseling process. Uh, we want to take the wedding date off the calendar. And, and I said, why? And they shared with me that the man in the relationship had, had struggled with pornography in the past. And he had begun to dive into it again. And it had eroded away the trust in their relationship. And you know what I said at that moment? I said, I really commend you guys because what you're looking at is the, the foundation because trust is the foundation of a relationship. And what, what you often see in, in premarital situations is there's such a focus on this wedding day, what everybody else sees, how beautiful it is, how awesome it is, how wonderful it is. And there's very little focus on the things that really matter. So I said, way to go, guys. Good job for caring more about the foundation than what everybody else sees and, and thinks about. Trust is the foundation of a marriage. I think it's great that they went to that foundation. Jesus, at the end of his Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Level Place, they're both similar. He's going to go to the foundation because what he's done throughout this message is he's shown us how a disciple lives. Love your enemy. Do good to those who hate you. And Matthew, he talked about, do not lust. Do not live in anger. He says, this is how you should pray. Stop worrying. It's all these ways that we should live. And I think Jesus knows our tendency to deal with appearances. And he knows those early disciples and ourselves included could look at what he said and say, all right, I'm going to go out there and put on a good show and make sure everybody around me sees me doing these things, but I'm not going to deal with the heart of my life. Jesus doesn't want that. He doesn't want us to just have this exterior list so we look good for those around us. He wants to show us that these behaviors only come from the inside out. When he said, I want your righteousness to exceed that of the Pharisees, that's part of what he meant. He wanted a inside out kind of righteousness. So as he wraps up this sermon today, he's going to show us three things. One, that fruit comes from trees. These are obvious things. That's what's great about Jesus' teaching, but he's going to use it to drive home a point. We focus on the fruit. He wants to take us to the tree that the fruit comes from. Words come from hearts. He wants us to go to the heart more than just what we say. And houses are built on foundations. He wants us to look at the tree and the heart and the foundation so that we take his sermon for all that it's meant. 
Now, as we start, we're going to look at the tree. And as we, as we look at what he says about trees, I want to bring out something from each of these stories. But the trees, I want to bring out the process of bearing fruit. It is a process, okay? I'm going to read what Jesus says, and then I'm going to share where that idea came from this week. Verse 43, no good tree bears bad fruit nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. Pretty straightforward, right? And we don't have to wonder what kind of fruit is he talking about here because Paul would later spell out very clearly the fruit of the Spirit that God wants to grow in our lives. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But as I said, when, when you think about trees, we lose sight. As I met with Justin this week, he, he shared that he and Becky had had an in-depth conversation about fruit in the Christian life. You didn't know you were going to be quoted this morning. I hope I get it right. And, and they, they were talking and he said that Becky had shared with him just how far removed we often, most of us are, from the agricultural process. When we think fruit, we think the, the final product. I go to the store and boom, there it is. It's instant. I want apples, I go to the store. Boom, there they are. I want an avocado, boom, there it is. But that's not how fruit grows, is it? It is a process. And that's part of the beauty of what Jesus is showing here. Fruit growing takes time. It takes time. There, there, there are fruits that grow at varying speeds. Trees that grow at varying speeds. And different trees produce different amounts of fruit. We've got to get back to these agricultural thought processes. So as we think about good trees and bad trees and good fruit and bad fruit, keep that in mind. Now, I also think about something else. A tree is only good as what its roots tap into, right? If its roots are tapped into nuclear water next to a nuclear plant, you're going to have some bad fruit. If it's tapped into spring water near a creek or a spring, you're going to grow good fruit. Listen to what Colossians 2 says. Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Our lives with Christ begin with belief in Him. Are you continuing there? Are you continuing to root your life in Jesus Christ. Because if you want that good fruit, that is the only way you're going to bear that fruit. When I think about the process, I think two words. I think about progress and I think about patience. Paul often talked about the weight that was upon him of leading all those early churches at varying stages of growth. It weighed on him. And Paul exhibited this extreme balance of two things. One, challenging them to progress, but also being patient as a father uh, with a child. Why do I say we need this patience and this progress mentality? Well, sometimes we get aspects of the Christian life mixed up. 
I want to talk to you about three key ideas that we sometimes blur together. And we get in trouble when we do it for ourselves and we get in trouble when we do it with other people. The first idea is justification. Justification is an instant act in your life. When you place your trust in Jesus Christ, he makes your standing before the Father right. You are declared righteous in God's sight. That is instant, the moment you come to Jesus Christ. How many of you know that? Okay. The second process is a process, sanctification. That is the growing to become more like Christ. Paul describes it in Romans 8. A lot of us love this verse that, that it starts with, but we never go to the rest of the passage. Romans 8, 28, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We all know that verse, right? But how many of us know the good that he's called us to? Verse 29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of of his son. That's the good that God wants to work in our lives, that you and I are conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, that every day we look more and more like him. But you know what? That growth, that sanctification, that becoming more like Jesus is a process. And when we expect it to be instant in our lives, we're constantly frustrated. When we expect it to be instant in the lives of those people around us, we're constantly impatient and harsh. It is a process becoming more like Jesus. If you doubt that, listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3. He's writing to a church of believers. He calls them brothers and sisters. They're brothers and sisters in the Lord. He says, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly. Listen to this, mere infants in Christ. They're in Christ, but they're babies. They're in Christ, but they're still worldly. He said, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? And again, I look at Paul and I see a great example for us. On the one hand, I see this constant challenge to grow. You're an infant in Christ. I want you to grow. But I'm also going to be patient with you as you go through this process. Justification, instant. Sanctification process. The last one is glorification. That's the moment where we're transformed into perfection. That's going to be in an instant when we meet Christ. Okay? Two of them are instant. One of them is a process. Don't blur those together or you will always be frustrated. What about this fruit idea? When I think of that, I think of working out in my life what God has worked in, in the spirit. Working out what God has already worked in. Listen to this, Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation. If you stop there, you would think, wow, this is all based on me. It doesn't stop there. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works 
in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. You see the working out what God has worked in? How many of you like to work out at the gym or outside, go running? How many of you work up a sweat sometimes? All right. Because <laughs> there's working out and then there's working out. All right. I think about it like this. You drink, if, you're, if you're a conscientious exerciser, if you do it the way you're supposed to, you drink plenty of liquids. You put that liquid in. That liquid comes from outside of you. It comes from another source. But then as you go out and exercise, what happens? The liquid comes out. You work out what is worked in. That's the picture here. You couldn't do it without the liquid. You couldn't work it out. But you cooperate with the process. Same with God. God gives you the Holy Spirit. You couldn't do the things He calls you to do without Him. But as you cooperate with Him and say, yes, I will obey, you begin to work out what He's worked in. Does that make sense? Okay. So we talked about one kind of fruit, the fruits of the Spirit. I want to talk about one other kind of fruit before we move on to the next picture that Jesus used. One other fruit in our lives is the fruit of those that we disciple. We're all discipling people in our lives. There are people following each one of us. Jeff Vanderstelt pointed that out in one of his talks. He said it this way. He said, we're all making disciples. The question is, what are we making disciples of? There are people watching you, following in your footsteps, learning from you. If they walked in your footsteps, what are they becoming disciples of? Paul says it this way. 2 Timothy 2.2, the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. It's this process of reproduction. What do your disciples look like? Before we move on, I just want to ask you, are you living with that mindset? One of progress, because if we're talking about a growing tree, growing, you want to keep growing. You want to be more mature tomorrow than you are today. But also, are you walking in patience for yourself and others, realizing that it is a process, okay? Second thing he talks about is a treasury that a man goes to to bring things out of. Verse 45, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Now, this one, I think he's really, really getting at the matter that he wants us to go beyond symptoms. Because I think sometimes, especially with speech, what we say, we think we're doing pretty good. If we get into a situation, let's say we're in a situation where someone's really getting under our skin. And we've, we've got our head full of the, the foulest profanity you can imagine. And it's welling up in us. And, and we just somehow barely keep that stuff from coming out of our, our mouths. And we, we sort of congratulate ourselves. We're like, hey, I didn't say it. I did good. I did good. I didn't call him that. I didn't say that. And what I think Jesus is getting at here is it's not enough to keep it from coming out of your mouth. I want to deal with the heart of where that came from in the first place. Why do you hate that person? Why are you so angry, so vengeful, so lustful? I want to get at the heart more than you congratulating yourself that it didn't come out. He wants us to deal with the heart of where that came from. 
A while back, I shared with some of you an example where this was driven home in my life. When we lived in Chicago, we lived in these apartments, three stories. And, and if you, how many of you have ever lived in an apartment building that had those call boxes where you're at the bottom and you press the button and say, hey, you home? Or can you unlock the door? Sam, a couple of you. Okay, we had those call boxes. And, and I was upstairs in our apartment with Carolyn getting ready to go to Bible college. And, and we were really disagreeing about something, as married couples sometimes do. And I wasn't disagreeing very respectfully. I was being a jerk. I was being rude. It's easy for me to say that now. I didn't want to admit it right then, but I left kind of in a huff, you know, quick kiss, and I got to go. And I'll never forget, all, all the way down the stairs, I was muttering. You know, I forget what I was saying. You know, guy on a Christmas story working on the furnace, that kind of thing. And I get to the front door, and I'm walking out, and, and I hear, is that you, Scott? Carolyn was hoping to catch me on the box on my way out because that was before everybody had cell phones. And guess what? She had heard a good little chunk of that. And it just made me think, you know, I felt pretty good that I turned off the stuff upstairs, but really the, the issue was deeper than that. And for God, God's always got the little call box on, okay? It's never off. And beyond just the words that come out, he knows what's going on in our hearts. And so he cares a whole lot more about that root. He wants to change our thought patterns. He wants to change our worldview. He wants to change our reactions. Because isn't that often where it's tested the most? Not our planned responses, but how I react when the heat's on right now. That's what he's after. James talks about this in chapter 3. He says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? See, there he's getting to the source again, the spring. My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So as we look at that second one, I want us to ask, are we focused more on what comes out and what other people can see? Or are we working in cooperation with God saying, God, please deal with the root of this. So instead of glorifying myself because it didn't come out, that, that I actually have your response from the beginning. Before I get to the third story, Jesus asked kind of a central, poignant question. One of those questions that maybe we wish he wouldn't ask. He says in verse 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? I mean, we could spend a, this whole week thinking on just that one question, couldn't we, the rest of our lives. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? John Stott says this. He says, the question is not whether we say nice, polite, orthodox, enthusiastic things about Jesus. Not whether we hear his words, listening, studying, pondering, and memorizing until our minds are stuffed with his teaching. 
but whether we do what we say and do what we know. In other words, whether the Lordship of Jesus, which we profess, is one of our life's major realities. This is not, of course, to teach that the way of salvation is by good works of obedience, for the whole New Testament offers salvation only by the sheer grace of God through faith. What Jesus is stressing, however, is that those who truly hear the gospel and profess faith will obey him, expressing their faith and their works. Challenging. We want to balance this with the growth process. It's progress. It's a process, patience. But is there fruit beyond what I say? 1 John 1.6 says, If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. The tense that John uses there is talking about a continual pattern of life. He's not saying, if you ever sin, you don't know Jesus, okay? Elsewhere in his book, he says, anyone who claims to be without sin is a liar, all right? That's not what John is saying, but he's saying, if the overall trajectory of your life is sin and selfishness and ignoring the Lord's commands... There's reason to examine, which leads us to our last thing that Jesus talks about, foundations. What are you building your life on? What are you building your life on? He says, as for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They're like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house, but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Again, Jesus doesn't want to just deal with the visible structure, right? He wants us to examine the foundation. Now, how many of you know that the higher a building is, the deeper that foundation has to be? There's a building called the Burj Dubai Tower. Half a mile tall. Tallest building in the world. The foundation... 164 feet deep. The higher a building wants to go, the deeper the foundation has to be. Now think about this. Obviously the foundation Jesus is talking about. He says, those who hear my words and put them into practice, he himself is the ultimate foundation. Isaiah 28 predicted his coming. God said, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. It's Jesus. John Stott says this, every other foundation is as sand. 
Unless we build on Jesus, we build on changeable inclinations, short-lived desires, transitory aims, evanescent circumstances. Only the Christ who lives forever and is every day the same, yesterday, today, and forever, is fit to be the foundation of lives that are to be immortal. It starts with the foundation. All right? Anybody back in the day ever listened to a Christian metal group called Tourniquet? <laughs> Another one, we won't, we won't play you in a clip from this song because, again, we might have a heart attack in the room. But they had a song called uh, Drowning Machine. <laughs> nice peaceful music before, before bed, you know. <laughs> but they had this, this line in there that I'm, I'm sure has been repeated elsewhere. But it says, sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a destiny. That's dealing with foundations, right? Starting with the thought, getting to the destiny that comes from the thought. What are you building your life on? Is it on Christ? Because the storms are going to come. And I see these two buildings in Jesus' story looking pretty similar up until that moment. I don't know if I've ever actually got to lay eyes on a foundation in my life. I've seen a lot of buildings, but once that building is built, the foundations are, are hidden. And I think about that in our lives. Most of the important foundational things where we build on are not seen to other people. That time in the Word is often not seen by other people. That time on your face in prayer is often not seen by other people. That time confessing your sin and worshiping God is often not seen. But is that the foundation? Because guess what? The storm is going to come. And the storm will show the strength of the structure based on what foundation it's built on. I saw two examples this week of a foundation in Jesus in the middle of a storm. One was at the courthouse this week. Jerry and Deborah, are you still in here? Jerry, there you are. They went in there for this benefits trial for Andrew Ashcraft's family. And it was the coolest thing. After I checked in with them and told them I'd be in the back praying, I saw them and several of their friends circle up before the trial in the courtroom, circle up, and they're praying right there in the superior court for God's will to be done. Storm raging around them. They're built on a rock, and by God's grace... They won the trial. Andrew Ashcraft's family was awarded those benefits. It's been a storm though, hasn't it, Jerry? <laughs> God doesn't promise a storm won't come, but he gave you strength in the middle of the storm. I think of someone else in our church that was having a rough, discouraging day. And how often is it when we have a rough day? It's easy at that moment. and Sometimes maybe we need to, to shut down. This person having a rough day texted me and said this. They said, I'm going to go out and post some of our church next door cards around Prescott Valley. I'm going to put in some stores and different things like that. And the person said, would you pray that these cards find the lost who don't know they are lost? And, and the person closed with this in their text. I'm not at my best right now, but that's when God is, Right? I texted back and 
I just said, I love that. It makes me smile. I quoted the beginning of this message to him, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I said, there's a person whose life is built on the rock of Jesus Christ, right? The storm came and the storm was going on as they spread those cards, but they said, you know what? I'm going to follow him through the storm. What's your life built on? Is it built on Jesus Christ or is it built on something more transitory? One man said this, far more momentous than the choice of a career or of a life partner is the choice of life itself. On which foundation are we going to build? And as we close, I want to bring it back to the idea that Jesus is the firm foundation. And I want us to leave here without two things. One, I don't want anybody to leave here with false condemnation. Okay? And I don't want anyone to leave here with false assurance. I think that's some of what Jesus is getting at here. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? I don't want anybody to leave here with false assurance. One man said, being in a church service does not make you a Christian any more than being at McDonald's makes you a Big Mac. I want us all to look and say, have I trusted in Jesus Christ as my Savior? Is there any fruit to show evidence of that? Yes, it's the process, so we want to be patient. I'm not expecting perfection, but is there fruit? It's worth asking ourselves the question. Some of us may need to do that. Have I ever truly come to Jesus? Because one man said it this way. He said, the question is not, can I somehow lose my salvation? If Jesus has you, he's never going to let you go. But the question is, do I really have it? That's an important question. H.A. Ironside, a pastor in Chicago, said, we cannot live the life until we first possess it. Have I truly come to Jesus? Don't leave here with false assurance, but also don't leave here with false condemnation because there are some people in this room that have truly come to Jesus. And there is some fruit in their lives, but they're so impatient with themselves, more so than they are with other people. If that's you and you've come to Jesus, listen to the words of Jude 24 and 25, one of the most beautiful passages in all of Scripture. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. He's able to do those things. He's able to present you before his glorious presence without fault. To the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. If you're in that second category and you're wrestling with that this morning, I want to tell you a final story as we wrap up. Watchman Nee, one of the great leaders in church history, tells about a new convert who came in deep distress to see him. The man said, no matter how much I pray, 
No matter how hard I try, I simply cannot seem to be faithful to my Lord. I think I'm losing my salvation. Watchman Nee said, do you see this dog here? He's my dog. He's house trained. He never makes a mess. He's obedient. He's a pure delight to me. Now, out in the kitchen, I have a son, a baby son. He makes a mess. He throws his food around. He fouls his clothes. He is a total mess. But who's going to inherit my kingdom? Not my dog. My son is my heir. You are Jesus Christ's heir because it is for you that he died. So it is with us who believe. We are Christ's heirs, not through our perfection, but by means of his grace. Father, I thank you for the strong, penetrating words of Jesus. I thank you that he does not beat around the bush. On the one hand, he does not seek to make us comfortable if we shouldn't be comfortable. If there's anyone in this room that, that looks this morning at the tree and the heart and the foundation and says, I haven't built my foundation on Jesus Christ. I haven't trusted in him. I want them to know I'm available to talk to you in the back. This is the most important decision they could ever make. I don't want anyone to leave here with false assurance. On the other hand, if there's anyone in here that came in under the weight of condemnation from the enemy and they look and they see the struggles in their lives and they've come to Jesus and yet they doubt his salvation, I pray your comfort upon them this morning, Jesus. I'm available to talk to you as well. I'll be in the back for anybody, even if you're just wrestling with this question. Just because you come back doesn't mean you're, you're not a Christian or you are. No stigma to it. If you just want to process through some of this, I'd love to talk to you. I'm sure there are others. I'd love to grab coffee with you. But Father, I pray that you would help us to wrestle with these things this week. Lord, uh, is there progress in my growth in the power of the Spirit? Am I producing fruit? Am I patient with those around me who are growing and are in the process? Father, am I more concerned about what people hear out of my mouth than what's brewing on the inside? Help us to deal with that well, that spring inside. Make it clean in the power of the Spirit. Father, what, what foundation am I really building on? We've all heard the words. Jesus said it's those who hear the words and practice them. Uh, Father, help us to put your words into action. Thank you for Jesus Christ. How firm a foundation. We rest in him and his power this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.